Hello, I'm Victoria. And I'm Johnny. Welcome to Tasty Pages. A podcast for people who love cookbooks, food, and cooking. Each week, we'll discuss a featured cookbook from our popular Cooking the Books Instagram page. We'll also discuss the dishes that we made and rank the book in a variety of categories. Including food photography and styling, degree of difficulty, and of course, taste. The conversation is always unscripted, unedited, and uncensored. Spoiler alert, Victoria likes to swear. (laughs) All of this takes place in our living room in the heart of Minneapolis. Oh yeah, we also have a featured show topic with contributions from our listeners, and we end each episode with a lame food-related joke. Usually very lame. Hey now. (laughs) Join Join us for for Tasty Tasty Pages. This week's featured cookbook is... Scandinavian Green by Trina Hanman. Hi, Johnny. Oh, hey, Victoria. <laughs> you, you caught me sipping on a cocktail. <laughs> and to put it down. And apparently you got it all over your hands, too. I, I can lick my hands. It's I can, fine. It's I a can, tasty cocktail. Here, I'll grab you a tissue. Oh, a tissue smissue. At least our dog Olive didn't knock it over. <laughs> For anyone who might have been following our... Uh, adventures a few episodes ago where we had to abruptly postpone the completion until the following day. Every time I listen to that, it cracks me up because I'm like, oh my God. It's a good one. (laughs) Well, welcome. This is episode 83 of Tasty Pages, a podcast from Cooking the Books. If you go to our website, which is wecookbooks.com, there is a store tab that will direct you to our amazon.com affiliate page. And we've got a few lists there. If you make a purchase from any of those lists, including Kitchen Essentials for Home Cooks, I just added a few things there. What did you add? Anchor Hawking Graduated Measuring Glass, mm-hmm. which we just got. Um, if you do any kind of liquid measuring or bartending, they're kind of essential. I think they hold 10 tablespoons, if I'm not correct. Or if I'm correct? No, it's like eight tablespoons. Well, eight, ten, whatever. That's something. But yeah. <laughs> and then... Uh, Look at me. I'm I just d- being contrary. I just used them. I made some homemade grenadine and I just used them. Um, and then I also added the Rubbermaid High Heat Spoon Scraper. Oh. Game changer. Yeah. Those things are great. Mm-hmm. Uh, but anyway, you, you make purchases from any of those lists. We get a little something in return. Doesn't cost you anything more. We try and keep those updated frequently, so we're constantly adding things, and uh, it's the best way you can support what we're doing until we get like a, an OnlyFans. Do you um, think we should get an OnlyFans account? I don't think anyone <laughs> wants to see me on OnlyFans. Hey, look at Grandma's titties are out. No. Oh, man. <laughs> Shooting down my ideas. I'm, like I said, I'm being contrary. Oh, man. Uh, what are we drinking, by the way? We are drinking a chai martini, and it's basically um, rye whiskey with a chai concentrate and some cardamom bitters. Trying a new rye here, too. Mm-hmm. The, the local liquor store had uh, High West at a deep discount, <laughs> so I, I picked a bottle up, and I'm, I'm enjoying it. Yes. it's a good one. Uh, I guess we should discuss what we just finished up. We just finished up Tomato by Claire Thompson. Or Tomato. <laughs> tomato sounds very pre- pretentious. Tomato. I never say tomato. No, why would you? I don't know. Just to be different. <laughs> just to be a free thinker. I bet you Kanye says tomato. <laughs> sure. 
Anyway, and then, <laughs> <laughs> then we're going to start a new book tonight. Yes, uh, I'm super excited about this yeah, one too. Yeah, just got it in the mail. Uh, Dinner in One by Melissa Clark. Good old Melissa Clark. Yeah. She never steers us wrong. Never disappoints. And uh, this will be at least the second book of hers that mm-hmm. we've featured, um, which leads us into... I really need to get some uh, music. I really need to splurge and get some good production music for these little segments. Uh, What's for dinner this evening? For dinner, we are doing crispy sausage stuffed mushrooms with Brussels sprouts and cherry tomatoes. Perfect. From that dinner in one book. It's like a one pan sheet pan. Mm -hmm. It's going to be great. I guess a few things we could discuss. Most importantly... (laughs) Our thoughts on nachos. <laughs> now, the the uh, inspiration for this conversation occurred because we tried out this new place. We were out running some errands. We went to this place. Uh, should we say the name? We can say the name. Rusty Taco. Yeah, it's Rusty Taco. Um, and they have a location in northeast Minneapolis. We had never tried it. We drove by it a million times. Because it's, it's like literally kitty corner to one of our favorite. Our favorite hot spots. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Which also serves tacos and nachos and stuff, so we never really felt a need to stray. The nachos at this, at the place that we go to, it's called Brasa, are fantastic. Pulled pork? It's, uh, yep, slow roasted pork shoulder, and it's got like pickled jalapenos, pickled onions, black beans. Best of all? Not soggy. They're not soggy. Okay, so what we did is we went into this place. We got uh, the the nachos, which Bris- were supposed to be brisket nachos, barbecue brisket. But the barbecue component comes from them pouring a bunch of barbecue sauce over the top, which was like cloyingly sweet. Oh, it was disgusting. And it also had the added benefit of making the the tortilla chips all soggy. Well, and the queso sauce that they use was like really watery too. Yep. And I know you didn't love the brisket, but anyway, it was and it was literally served on this huge tray. It was like a serving tray, like a Corona branded serving tray. I mean, you know, kudos to them for presentation, but it was a little large and messy. It, it was kind of like a big tray of slop. <laughs> it's like those. Uh, we were talking about this afterwards. Like we've seen those things on the Food Network where they go to a restaurant and they like put together some like garbage nachos or salad or something in a big uh tin and, can and yeah, they like do an the empty reveal at the table where they like lift the can up and everything just like spills out into a big giant mess oh that kind of shit grosses me it's out it's pretty so gross <laughs> so these kind of were reminiscent of that but uh they they just you know failed at the first rule of nachos and it's like don't be soggy. Mm-hmm. Don't be soggy. That's kind of a motto in life. Don't, <laughs> don't be soggy. Be soggy. <laughs> Next time I'm being a brat, you can be like, hey. Don't be soggy. Don't be soggy. Yeah. So, th- I mean, <laughs> but then I started thinking in terms of like, you know, sometimes we'll be craving nachos and we'll make some at home. And they're probably a little reminiscent of like the Brasa nachos mm-hmm. that we enjoy. And so we kind of take that as our inspiration. Or but to be I- a little bit more healthy, we'll do like. Loaded sweet potato, like yes. roasted sweet potato. Yes. Um, so yeah, loaded sweet potatoes or tortilla chips, your choice. Mm-hmm. Um, I think when we make them at home, we usually do chicken just because you can get a rotisserie chicken and, and you know, then, then you'll I, have some leftovers yep. and we can do something with it, you know, so it's kind of like two meals in one. 
Um, but special bonus, if you want to take it up to the next level, we've gotten some like smoked chicken from one of the local barbecue places and use that. Mm-hmm. And that's that's like super, top, it's top shelf. Yeah, those are super nachos. Uh, but then we'll do like pickled jalapenos. We'll do some black beans drained. Drain them because you don't <laughs> want soggy nachos. <laughs> cheese. We'll skip the liquid cheese and do, you know, a scattering of some kind of shredded. A good cheese. melty cheese. Yeah. Like pepper jack or there's usually like some cherry tomatoes on there cilantro scallions and then uh, a liberal application of marie sharp's smoked habanero sauce it's funny because i feel like we haven't we just kind of recently started eating nachos when we moved back here yeah i don't feel like we ever made nachos not like it wasn't a chicago Chicago. thing too (laughs) not like it was unavailable as an option But we, you know, we keep it pretty simple. There, there's definitely an art to nachos, and these guys kind of failed at it. Very, very disappointing. Nothing makes me more sad than like when you, like, if you go to the roller rink or you go to a stadium and you get the nachos, and it's just like chips. And when was the last time you had stadium nachos? Well, I mean, like you can see people eating them. Oh yeah, it's like chips with the neon orange ooze yeah that they like to call cheese sauce. that is like nachos by the most basic definition <laughs> it's like nachos without the fun <laughs> wah, wah. Yeah. it's a big sad trumpet of of nacho dishes <laughs> um the other thing i wanted to talk about is my uh my frustrating quest to find cutting boards to replace our beloved um worn well-used ones so far, I'm kind of striking out. Well, the thing about the cutting boards is why we're so particular about our cutting boards is because Aside we... Aside from the fact that we use them every day. Yeah. We it's like, kind of an important thing. The ones that we currently have, or the ones that we replaced, had rubber edging around them. So that way, So uh, that way they won't slide. Oneida or you, was the brand. Yes. Which they no longer make. No. Because otherwise you need, like we put the, like that rubbery shelf liner underneath there or in a pinch a wet paper towel yeah kitchen hack there's a little tip for you guys yep why do we need to do that when you can get something with rubber along the edges presumably presumably man okay so here's my criteria non-slip like you mentioned reversible because i like being able to you know rinse it off maybe flip it over so Mm -hmm. you're not cutting on a wet cutting board again don't be soggy how do you feel about the juice groove? I appreciate the juice groove. Really? Yeah. Huh. And we're, and we're not talking about like a movie with Mario Bonkeebles <laughs> and Ludacris or anything. This is like uh, the juice groove. It, it totally I, sounds I, like a breakdance yeah, movie. I, and I didn't even know until recently that that was the term for that little channel that runs around the perimeter of the cutting board. Well, juice I mean, it, it makes sense. Like if yeah. you're cutting up like... A steak or chicken. See, like our previous ones that we're replacing, they don't have the juice groove. And I kind of like that because then you don't have the knife getting caught in there or like ingredients that you're chopping getting caught in there and stuff. How are you cutting that you're getting your knife cut? I just just don't like the juice groove. (laughs) Duly noted. (laughs) Yeah. But it's hard to find ones without that. Yeah. So if you get ones that are reversible, they usually have the juice groove on one side. I just like saying juice groove. Um, so we found these KitchenAid ones on Amazon. They're okay, but what I noticed is I, I ordered two of them. <laughs> one it sticks to the counter really nicely and doesn't slip. The other one, I don't know if it's like warped or something, but it slides all around. And yeah. they're the same identical cutting board. Yep. So the the little non-stick corners, maybe they're not raised enough or something. It was like a manufacturing defect. 
we're devoting entirely too much time. I to know, right? About people are like, words. people Get are like, goodbye, sir. Already. Goodbye. Uh, but anyway, my whole point was, if you have cutting board recommendations that meet those criteria, and Victoria and I can argue separately off the air about the juice groove, whether it's needed or not, hit us up <laughs> on, on social media. We'll we'll t- we'll take recommendations. And then lastly, with the uh, passing of the Queen, there was an interesting article that I read about how. There's these, uh, they call them British Royal Warrants. I'm going to let you just yeah, go this, uh, on this. I just read it and I yeah, didn't take so any notes on it. Basically what it is, is it's an official designation or acknowledgement that a company supplied goods and or services to the royal family and that allowed them to advertise this designation on their packaging. So a lot of times you'd see the Royal Arms symbol and it would say, you know, official, you know, ketchup. For the royal family or something like that. Well, with the passing of the queen, these all went away and now it's up to the companies to renew these within two years and they have to kind of start the process over again and and King Charles now has to approve these. Currently, there's about 100 brands affected by this and the number is constantly changing because they have different criteria that you have to adhere to. And, well, and don't and, they have to reapply like yes, every five every years? every five to seven okay. years. Um, but now with with the passing, it's kind of automatic that they, they need to uh, do this. But there were hundreds of these warrants issued throughout her 70-year uh, reign. And uh, some of the biggest brands and best-known brands were Heinz, Coca-Cola, Cadbury, Johnny Walker. Oh. Jeffrey Epstein, I don't think, was on this list for supplying the goods and the services to Gross. the royal family. Ick. <laughs> he supplied something to one of the royals. Yes, he did. Uh, but uh, yeah, so I just I just thought that was kind of an interesting thing. Uh, you know, it's kind of kind of the same as like here when they'll be like official sponsor of the Olympics or of the of the NFL or something and this is just like a little you know bragging rights for these companies. Anything else to say on that? I have nothing to say right. on that. <laughs> I got nothing else to say on that. Uh, I guess we should jump into our show question. Uh, We put this out to listeners and got a lot of good answers. If you were a guest on Iron Chef, what would you want the secret ingredient to be for the challenge? All right. uh, Brooke H. said butter. Ooh, that's a good one. So many different ways you could go with that, incorporating it into the, the dishes. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, butter is you, you know, like, I feel like it's a component, but like, it will never be the main star. Like, what are you going to do? Deep fried butter? I don't know. Like, how do you, a beurre blanc? I don't know. Uh, Maggie, Maggie, Maggie said ground cherries. Oh, I love ground cherries. Yeah, that's very specific. Mm -hmm. Ooh, here's a good one. I bet you she bakes a lot with them. Oh, I'm sure. Mm -hmm. Hit us Uh, with the next one. Oh, Thad E said cheese. That is a good one. I'm sure they've had that before. Oh, I'm... Yeah. Battle uh, cheese. <laughs> Tara K said mustard. I can I, see that. I can co-sign that. We've we've done recipes for mustard. Including my mustard cupcakes, mm-hmm. which were really good. David M said sunflower seeds. A la cuisine. <laughs> <laughs> hmm. I don't, I don't know if I'm embracing the sunflower seed idea. I don't know. I guess you could make like a, a sunflower butter. Yeah. You could feature it in like you could do some kind of like really seeded bread or use them as like a coating for something you're not selling me look at me i'm like trying to (laughs) i'm trying to think of every like any kind of application well i'm gonna let you read the next one okay 
Oh, Victor. Victor K. Uh, whatever. Okay, so to preface this, go to Amazon, look up the, I think it's a like five pound bag of sugar-free gummy bears okay. and read the reviews. Because apparently whatever, okay, so his answer was, Whatever the artificial sweetener in sugar-free gummies is that makes you shit yourself is called. <laughs> I didn't know this was a thing. It's a thing. The reviews are hilarious. So this results when you eat a large quantity uh-huh. of gummy bears. I mean, I don't think someone needs to be eating five pounds of gummies, but <laughs> no. you know, then you deserve what you get. Well, it's kind of it's kind of it's kind of reminiscent to me uh, back in the days when they were putting Olestra in potato chips uh-huh. they're frying them in a lustra rather than like regular oil was that supposed it, to be more healthy yeah but you it, shit your it, it caused like <laughs> so is it more healthy it, it caused <laughs> anal leakage i mean the, the psychological trauma can you that. imagine sitting there and you've got like grease like dripping out of your ass <laughs> mm. It's so gross. <laughs> I, I will pass. Yeah. <laughs> uh, Angela M said cream of chicken soup. That's another one. That's I, I want to see the dessert recipe that comes from Ooh. that cream of chicken soup. That's all I'm saying. Um, Jason B said kumquats. Okay. Yes. Love a good. Love a good. Nice little tart citrus. Uh, at Maxwell Gregory 2018 said eggs or tomatillos. I like that. Yep. Megan You always you always butcher this. <laughs> Say it for me. It's Megan Anigans. I don't know. <laughs> and she said rice. Yes. The rice is a good one. It is. It's a very versatile. It's super versatile. Ben Mandelker. Hi, Ben Mandelker. I love you. <laughs> You're so funny. <laughs> You're Victoria's internet boyfriend. Oh my god. Well, yeah. I mean he is gay, but <laughs> it's okay he can still have an internet boyfriend he's hilarious he does uh he has a podcast called watch watch what crappens and it's all all things bravo related love it it's funny if you is it love bravo or real housewives is it mostly real housewives content mostly but there's also they also do um below deck and like married to medicine and then occasionally bravo will like that means they have to watch all those shows i know (laughs) i mean hey they're getting paid to watch tv so they make their living off of it but anyway he said sun chokes and great choice yeah if we could find the goddamn things here (gasps) we cannot find them here there was one mark there was only one market that we could find them in in Chicago, and we have yet to find them here anywhere. Also known as Jerusalem artichokes. They feel like they're kind of seasonal to like a specific time because we would see them uh, randomly. Yeah, I know. It, it was not on a regular basis. What'd you have for your picks? Uh, well, pick, picks. I don't know how many you chose. I picked a couple. Um, tongue. Oh, okay. But that, I mean, unless you're pressure cooking it. Then you run out of time, right? That would be a but, that would be a very challenging one. It is because yeah. some people don't know how to cook it. That would separate the pros from the amateurs, yes. and and it's delicious. It tastes like pot roast, FYI. Don't be grossed out by it. It's delicious. Give it a try. Yes, um, and then I would say cabbage. Oh yeah, cabbage That's a good is one. super versatile. Nice, roast it, saute it. Yeah, make some cabbage rolls variety of different directions yes nice how about you um i had a few eggs 
Okay. I thought would be good because mm-hmm. it's, you know, so many different directions you can go. Um, tomatoes. I was going to say I tomatoes, mean, Maybe too. that was on my mind since we had just finished the tomato book by Claire Thompson. But uh, I thought that would be another good one where you could just, you know, you could do savory, you could do sweet, mm-hmm. you could do all kinds of different things. And I, and I would love to see, you could do like liquid, you could do, you know, there's all kinds of Oh, you of could do cocktails. Yeah, you could make exactly. like a tomato water martini. Mm-hmm. Oh, mm, yum. Uh, and then lastly, uh, citrus, which I think they might have done on an episode. Oh, but yeah. I just started thinking of like the whole variety of citrus that's available and uh, the fun you could have with that. Mm-hmm. If they, and, I, and I could just see the, the stage, you know, filled with an abundance of different citrus and, mm-hmm. and like, the, them running over and like filling up their baskets with that. So that's what I had. Sure. All right. Should we talk about this book? Let's dive into All it. Right. So until recently, this book had eluded us. It was released in 2020 while most of us were a bit distracted. We're glad to have finally discovered it, and we've previously featured another book from Danish chef and food writer Trina Hahnemann, uh, which was what the Scandinavian comfort food, I believe. Mm -hmm. And then, uh, so this book comes along, it's plant-based, it's divided between uh, the four seasons, features over 100 recipes focusing on fresh seasonal produce with an emphasis on mindful and practical approach to eating with the arrival of summer. And the fact that we live in a very heavily Scandinavian area in the country, this was like a perfect opportunity to lean into these recipes. Uh, You want to mention what we made and then we'll talk in more detail about it? Yes, I would love to do that. All right. (laughs) Okay. Let's do it. Uh, Wild garlic pancakes with spring vegetables. Rhubarb soup with floating meringue. Next, we have strawberry and cucumber salad. Then there's a spiced bean salad with flowers. And then to finish it off, we did roasted potatoes with sautéed beans and peas. All right. Let's start with this wild garlic pancake with spring vegetables. Okay. I have to say this was actually my, I think it was my favorite dish. It was my favorite dish. It called for wild garlic, uh, obviously. Garlic scapes. Yeah. Yeah. um, Which when we got this book, it was all over the farmer. Garlic scapes were everywhere at the farmer's market. Yes. Kind of late spring, early summer. Yes. And th- this one was a two-day recipe because you had to make the batter one day ahead of time. Basically, it's boiled potatoes that get riced and you add flour. We used uh, one-to-one gluten-free so I could actually eat them. And then it had garlic scapes and creme fraiche. Uh, and then it was filled with a, kind of a slaw of cabbage, scallion, yet more garlic, and then we topped it off with some yogurt. Yeah, so it was like a nice pancake. And, we, and very herbaceous. It's well, we, super. Did you mention the dill? Because we had dill like exploding in our garden, so we added a ton of that too. I did not mention, I think I didn't mention dill. And that was, it was very good. Mm-hmm. Um we topped these with a bit of yogurt, rolled them up, ate them like a taco. Yep. But they were great. And one of the nice things about doing these recipes when they call for something like all-purpose flour is we have an opportunity to see if uh, they will transform into gluten-free. And we're happy to report that this one does. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Anything else to say about this? 
I don't think so. Yeah. I mean, it's not the first like savory pancake we've made. They're they're uh, very popular in like Asian cuisines and the scallion so we, pancakes yeah, yeah. so we, we've made a lot of these in the past and you know, we always enjoy them i'm a big fan of the savory pancake i, I mean i agree i'm kind of a big fan of all the pancakes breakfast for dinner <laughs> i love it okay next we did the rhubarb soup with floating meringue oy, oy, oy. yeah <laughs> the sun was not great this was a miss mm-hmm. um yeah i mean rhubarb is Rhubarb's tricky because you got you have to like cut that that bitterness with so much sugar. I don't think it's bitter, it's more sour. Okay, yeah, you have to cut that sourness with uh sugar and it just it results in like this really sweet not good for you. <laughs> well, dish. Here's the thing. Is like beautiful? It was beautiful. The 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 soup the actual soup had a lot of sugar in it. I would have preferred for the sugar to be a little bit less so you get some of that tartness because mm-hmm. then it had meringues floating in it, mm-hmm. which I don't know. Maybe this was just like a dumb idea of us to try this since we both love meringues I think so we, much. We got seduced by the photo and just like it, it, it sounds like a great dish. Yeah. I paper. mean, if, if you... If like, you like sweet. If you like sweet, this is perfect. If you have a sweet tooth, mm-hmm. keep your dentist on speed dial. Right. So I have a good story about rhubarb. Yeah? You want to hear it? I, I was just thinking how I dated myself by saying, do this on speed dial because like in the age of <laughs> cell phones, like really you just push a button to call someone. So isn't everyone in your contacts on speed dial? <laughs> Okay, so here's a fun rhubarb story. When I was a little girl, we went to my aunt's and she made a rhubarb pie, but she didn't put, she put like no sugar in it whatsoever. And it was horrible. And my mom is like, just eat the damn pie. Don't be rude. (laughs) I have a rhubarb story. When I was growing up, uh, my friends and I would uh, sneak into Mrs. Heyman's backyard garden and uh, steel rhubarb because we thought it was funny to like dare each other to eat it, you know, like the stalks, you know, cause they're all sour and puckering. And, uh, then she'd come out in her house dress and chase us with a broom. Nowadays it'd probably be like a, a shotgun or something, right? but you know, harmless broom back in the day. So we could just outrun her. And, uh, yeah, that's my, that's my rhubarb story. And also don't eat the leaves because they're poisonous. Oh, just, now you tell just- us. I don't think you guys are eating rhubarb leaves. I don't think so. Okay. Anything else to say on this? This was, this was a miss and and it's not really a fault of the recipe per se, because it's just, it is what it is. I don't know. I think it could have been a little bit more balanced. Okay. I think you could have done like tart and sweet. I mean, we got a good photo out of it, but Mm -hmm. boy, those, those floating meringues. And I, I think we, tried to and the other thing is they don't keep especially in the summertime when it's really humid in the air and those things just got like kind of again soggy they weep yep (laughs) they get all weepy and and like soft so we we gave it a a, a valiant effort and tried to enjoy it another night and then i just was like okay oh can't do it we did take some of the rhubarb soup and drizzle it over vanilla ice cream now you're talking and that was good that was very good Mm -hmm. And that was a better use of it. Or in a cocktail. I think it'd be really good in a cocktail. Absolutely. Almost like a rhubarb syrup or something. Mm-hmm. Um, like a rhubarb simple syrup. Yep. But uh, yeah. Yeah. 
<laughs> okay, so next we did a strawberry and cucumber salad. This was great because one of our neighbors had given us uh, her CSA box because she was going out of town. And there were some really beautiful little strawberries. Mm-hmm. I don't know. It was like a basic, well, I guess you wouldn't call it a basic salad because I would not, ne- like, it kind of wouldn't really occur to me to be like cucumbers and strawberry. Yeah. So, yeah, it's not basic. It's not a basic salad. But it's, it's kind of like a fresh summer seasonal salad. How do you feel about the elderflower dressing? Okay, so the elderflower dressing actually called for like elderflower vinegar, which I have never, ever seen in my life. Mm-hmm. So we used champagne vinegar, and then we also used um, elderflower cordial. St. Germain. Yeah. Basically. Um, I didn't mind the dressing. Yeah. Um, so anyway, this was strawberries, cucumber, feta cheese, little gem lettuce. Uh, and I think we actually, after we took our photo, we threw some chicken on we it. We most certainly <laughs> did. <laughs> yeah, spoiler alert. We threw some grilled chicken on here after the photo. <laughs> and, whoop, watch out for your cocktail. Miss oh, Olive's in the room. Here she is. Yep, we know like, how she rolls. Hi, baby gorgeous. But uh, yeah, I mean, this was this was fine. I, I think the chicken kind of made it a little bit more substantial. I don't know that this would be enough, you know, on its own. So it's 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 a good side salad or or maybe a good lunch. Or I was gonna say I could see myself eating this for lunch. Okay, and then let's talk spiced bean salad with flowers. And we were really leaning into the edible flowers uh, situation at this time because we've got a bunch of them growing in our garden. And I had kind of forgot that this recipe actually specifically calls for them. And so it was kind of nice to be able to make use of them. Uh And they make for beautiful photos. Yep. Uh, And I believe this one um, called for like three different colors of beans. And we had them. We had like some wax beans, some green beans, and then some purple beans. Unfortunately, the purple beans turn green when you blanch them. Yep. (laughs) So it doesn't quite have like the... uh, visual effect that i was hoping it would have yep um the, mean, you know green and yellow was still pretty but yeah uh not and the it, trifecta we were hoping no for. and it had a dressing that was made with sunflower oil although we used olive oil because we didn't want to go out and buy a whole thing of sunflower oil uh an egg yolk and some aleppo pepper it called for chili regular chili flakes but we used Aleppo. Oh, you know what else we used in this were dill flowers in yes. our garden because, like, like I said, we had like so much dill growing out of control at this point, and um, those flowers that grow on the dill are really pretty, mm-hmm. very delicate, and so we threw some of those on there too. And then the last one that we did was roasted potatoes with sautéed beans and peas. I feel like this book leaned really heavily on potatoes. Yeah, <laughs> like really heavily on potatoes. So this one was made with some bicolor potatoes, some string beans, scallions, fresh garden peas. We had we had fresh peas and some pea pods. Mm-hmm. Um, and the little the little sleeper ingredient in here is some nutmeg. Yeah, that's mm-hmm. right. I didn't mind this at all. No. I actually it was to me it was kind of like a like a really fancy potato salad. Yeah, totally. <laughs> 
And, you know, we should say that this was another one where once we photographed it, we served it with some grilled sausages just because it was like a dinner for us. And mm-hmm. we just wanted something a little bit more substantial. But, yeah, I, re- I remember having some of these left over for lunch the next day. And it just, you know, they keep well in the fridge. So. Well, that's the thing that I like about the salads is when we add a protein to them. You okay over there? I just burped. <laughs> 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 but you but you were courteous and did it off off uh mic i so, did you know um what was i saying oh so i like the thing about like these salads is i like adding protein to them so that we will have leftovers the next day um for lunch yeah this one was great I, it didn't blow me out of the water but you know if i'm being honest that's kind of how i felt about most of the dishes from this book like you know the the rhubarb soup aside, like everything was was solidly like it was good. Mm-hmm. I, 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 there's no no dishes that I'm like still thinking about to this uh-uh. day. There's nothing that I'm necessarily thinking I need to make again. Mm-hmm. But they were good. Yeah, we're getting ahead of ourselves. We'll talk about <laughs> this in the rankings. But before we do that, I thought I'd share the most critical Amazon review that I found online, and this comes from. Billy Threat, three out of five stars. Good cookbook, but some drawbacks. Good, fairly easy, and fresh seasonal recipes. The pictures in this book are great, um, as well as the commentary in between the chapters and prefacing the recipes. That's called the head notes, Billy. Mm -hmm. Uh, The biggest drawback to this book is that many recipes included are not Scandinavian or European, but are Middle Eastern or Indian, or some sort of fusion. This makes the title a little bit misleading and leaves out room for many authentic recipes. If it's a Scandinavian cookbook, then it should have Scandinavian recipes using Scandinavian or surrounding European ingredients. The second drawback to this book is that it's repetitive of things. So there's uh, close to 15 or 20 potato-based recipes, like you said, Mm -hmm. 10 tomato recipes, and things seem to go like that. Not a huge amount of variety. Um, I understand that potatoes and... Uh, and things like that are pretty seasonal and can be used and prepared lots of ways, but I'd rather see a more diverse set of ingredients. Um, in conclusion, this is a good cookbook with good recipes, but don't expect it to be loaded with a variety or have authentic dishes. I would say this is a pretty fair review. I See, I guess I didn't notice that when I was looking through the recipes that there was like a... Middle Eastern or mm-hmm. Indian she even, theme if, to it. If you read some of the things that she wrote, she talked about kind of... Um, I mean, to be fair, she now lives in the UK and she does mention that at the beginning of the book about how she was surprised that even though geographically and seasonally the UK and uh, her... Denmark? Yeah, like they share a lot of similarities, but she was surprised at the different variety of produce that was available to her after moving. Mm-hmm. And maybe that move is what kind of inspired a more... Fusion. Yes, Fusion that. type recipe. That. Yeah. <laughs> um, so I, I can see that. Maybe she was going for more of a, a, a kind of a, like you said, a fusion melting pot kind of thing. All right, let's do our rankings. All right. Food photography and styling. What'd you have? I gave it a 4.5. Um, the photos were done by a man named Columbus Leth. Mm-hmm. Um, Great Instagram. Has a lot of food and outdoor photography. Yep. Which 
perfectly dovetails into this book because it, it contains photos of both. Mm-hmm. Um, the photos were really beautiful, but it had a very austere feel about it. Mm-hmm. Perhaps a tad dark. The backdrops were m- mostly made up of like darkish woods and linens ranging from like a light gray to a dark blue. And the styling was really simple, mm-hmm. I felt like. Mm-hmm. Um, all the cutlery looks vintage, like like the stuff that I got from Secret Treasures or like the silver that I got from my grandma. Right. Like it, it, some of it was kind of tarnishy, mm-hmm. which... Perfect for this book, though. It absolutely was. Mostly flat lay, some 45-degree angles. I noticed in a lot of the photos that there would be one dish and three spoons or three forks Mm, just kind of piled up on the side yeah it it was just like a little interesting detail that i noticed yeah um yeah i didn't it was the the, yeah the styling was really simple Mm -hmm. but i feel like it fit the whole mood of the book Mm -hmm. i agree what did you give it? I gave it a five. Okay. A lot of the same stuff that you mentioned. Most of the surfaces I thought were fabric and there were some wood, but you, you had mentioned the wood. I would say a good 75% of the photos were taken on like fabric mm-hmm. surfaces. Yeah. Like linen. And, like, and it was kind of wrinkly too, which yeah. I also really liked. And they had like the same color temperature mm-hmm. color palette so it was like grays greens blues and whites mm-hmm. and that created this almost like a cool kind of neutral aesthetic i thought see i felt it was a darker more darker I than I, neutral like when i say cool that's kind of where my my head is going rustic mm-hmm. great use of lighting and shadows even though it was really subtle but you could tell that these were probably styled and shot in kind of a studio setting and the lighting was very similar for all the photos so it kind of appeared to be coming from like the top of the photo and then there'd be a little bit of like a hint of shadow in the bottom right corner of like almost all the photos well traditionally like you light food from the left Mm -hmm. and so they were kind of following those you know standard practices um, there was a section. I'm sorry, I'm totally interrupting no, no, you. No, go for it. There was a section uh, of photos. There was like a two-page spread of photos in here where pages eighty and eighty-one. I have it in my in my notes too. Are you talking the about dinner like, party? Yes. Yeah. It was like shot outdoor. Yeah. Like in the evening, there were candles around, so even that was dark. Yeah. I mean, you could have done like it was kind of random because it didn't really like relate to anything. That's not like there's a chapter on like entertaining or dinner party but it was a double page spread of photographs and it's just an outdoor dinner party candlelit you know people digging into you know communal dishes and and usually when you see that kind of thing it's like during the day bright and sunny everyone's like wearing like i want to get invited to that party (laughs) i know right I think that's all I had, um, but I, I thought this is where the the book excelled. It, all the food looks appealing. Mm-hmm. I think it uh, fits nicely with the narrative of the book and and just the the point of view. So I, I really had no complaints about the photography. All right, uh, design and layout. You want me to go? Yeah. All right. I gave it a four. Okay. Um, the chapters are divided amongst the four seasons, mm-hmm. and then there's a bonus section for Christmas which I thought was nice. 
not a lot of extra material. There's uh-uh. um, she does a little kind of forward in the book, and then there's uh, a couple pages devoted to what she refers to as like the future of eating. And this book has a heavy emphasis on you know it's obviously like plant based eating, but it's also focused on a more mindful approach to eating and sustainability, organic, all that stuff that comes with it. In reading through that section, I thought it was really interesting that she she says how she herself practices uh, what's referred to as like the 80-20 rule. And so it's like 80% of her meals are like vegetable based mm-hmm. and then 20% yeah it was, like, I, I was reading that too and, it, and I was it, like oh that's very I, smart yeah I appreciated it because it's probably similar to how we eat mm-hmm. and so like th- that's probably what the appeal of this book was for us is that you know we try and practice a primarily plant-based diet but we do eat meat and we do incorporate like seafood and stuff into it as well um, but well, yeah, because like we were going through books this morning, and there was one book where it's like every single thing had meat. It was, and we're like, okay, so maybe we could work on two books at the same time because the uh, the other one was like a vegetarian, right? Book. And that's definitely what's going to happen with those, I think. But um, yeah, um, each chapter has a couple of pages about. Uh, kind of what's in season like you know when when they're setting up the you know the spring fall summer winter chapters there's a couple pages devoted to just like what's going on in in her Mm -hmm. uh area where she lives and what's in season and and what it you know reminds her she's a really good food writer she is a great writer yeah you have a chance to read those chapter introductions as well as the head notes for the recipes they always have some little like personal anecdotes and um, they're they're a real joy to read. Each recipe has a serving size. Um, they're also separated by the different components when applicable. So if there's like a sauce or a dressing or something, it has those um, listed separately. Both metric and imperial measurements. Small font size, though. I know. So I had to <laughs> deduct a point for that. I mean, overall, I think the format of this book is totally fine. I had no real issues with with the layout. But yeah, the small font size, the cover, it's okay. I mean, it's, it's, it's more appealing because of the color of it. Would you say, I mean, the, the, the title and the text run kind of like sideways along the book. Vertically. Yes. And so, but it's got like a gorgeous picture of some like beets, fresh beets that were like freshly picked with the leaves and stems still attached. But uh, and the the color is like this nice kind of visually appealing like pink crimson. color. Yeah, yeah, crimson, sure. But it does lean more pink than it does yeah. red. But uh, yeah, I, I gave it a four. Okay, um, you pretty much. What you covered? Give it? I gave it a three point five. Okay, you pretty much covered everything I was going to say. I think that that little section um, before, like in the introduction to each season Mm -hmm. kept the head notes of the recipes really brief because she didn't have to go on some super long winded story about why. Although some of the head notes are a good, nice size paragraph long. I mean, some of them are just a few sentences, but there's, there was a good portion of head notes that were like, 
it's it's a good paragraph, you know, where yeah, she's see, there was nothing... sharing a personal story or something. Yeah, but there was nothing where I was like, this is excessive. No, no. Because there will be books that we've done where it's like half a page of a head note. Mm-hmm. So yeah, I gave it a 3.5. Degree of difficulty. I gave it a 3. Mm-hmm. Which is kind of surprising to me. Like I wouldn't... Yeah, I expect it. I wouldn't characterize this as a beginner cookbook no. because there's a fair amount of baking and there's a fair amount of dishes where you do have to do some advanced prep, sometimes like a few days in advance. Uh, yeah, th- exactly. There's a fermented chips and baked potato dish that takes like three days. Mm-hmm. Um, so again, like uh, like times would have been great. So you can just like look at the recipe and be like, yeah, I don't know if I want to invest the time. I'm making in that. fermented chips tonight for dinner. <laughs> oh, no. Denied. Um, yeah. The instructions are really clearly written. Um, I think it was very easy to follow. Mm-hmm. I didn't feel like things were squashed on the page. Right. This is not something that I would give to a beginner, I don't think. No. And that's all I have to say okay. about that. <laughs> <laughs> I gave it a three as well. Okay. Uh, like I said, a few recipes require advanced prep. The one that stuck out in my mind was the rye bread. You have to make a sourdough starter three days ahead of time. And then the bread itself is kind of a two-day project. Mm-hmm. So there, there's several things in there like that. Um, but Well, like even those pancakes we made were like a two-day. Right. And there's other things where, you know, she'll use like a store-bought puff pastry so it's not like everything is necessarily made from scratch mm-hmm. um she takes practical shortcuts when when applicable but yeah no one's out there making their own phyllo dough right. no one wants to do that but, you know there are things with like these bread and bacon there's a fair amount of baking and dessert recipes in here too for each chapter so um it's not just like easy weeknight meals necessarily Mm-mm. solid three okay taste what'd you give it i gave it a three as well okay um kind of a mixed bag some dishes such as the rhubarb soup were a miss for me was there anything else that i'm dying to make again eh, not really yeah i mean I, I i enjoyed the other dishes fine enough three same yeah i gave it a three like i like nothing blew me away i really disliked the rhubarb soup. Yes. And like that reviewer said, it is like m- many of the recipes are, are a fusion of flavors. So if you are fully just wanting to immerse yourself in like a Scandinavian food, this is not the book for you. But if you're looking for an addition to your library of like plant-based books, yes. I would say this is a good one. Yes. I, it's well, probably going to give you some inspiration for maybe some flavor combinations that you hadn't considered. I agree with that. But it, like if you are thinking that this is just going to be like a straight up Scandinavian yeah. food. The title's a not, bit misleading. Yeah, it's not. It, that, that's not what it is. Mm-hmm. It, it, there are other influences coming in. Right. So yeah, I gave it a three. All right. Okay. This meeting is adjourned. (laughs) (laughs) All right. So now we've reached the gastro obscura portion of the show, exploring the weird and wonderful culinary traditions, experiences, and ingredients. What do you have for us today, Victoria? Okay. So this is spruce beer. It comes from Sweden. Oh, hey. Yes. Sticking with the theme of the show. Mm -hmm. Good one. And this is the Vikings solution for scurvy. 
this was made for maritime explorers, i.e. Vikings. It originated there. In order to prevent scurvy, they would be out on their boats for a long time. Vitamin C was quite lacking, and scurvy used to be a common ailment for sailors. Pine trees are always bountiful, even in the winter when fresh produce was lacking. Yep. So the tips of the evergreen trees were boiled down into a drink called spruce beer. And the Vikings believed it would boost their strength in battle as well as increase fertility. Were they high in vitamin C? There is a surprising amount of vitamin C in spruce. Yes. Who knew? I know, right? Um, And and you said fertility. Fertility? They've Fertility. <laughs> that's a totally different thing. That's what they believed. I mean, Which is great when you're a group of men alone on a boat. Right. <laughs> I mean, but they would drink it. They would drink it during the winter when they, okay. even if they when weren't not on out. a boat. Yes. And that's, um, that's where it would be helpful. Especially because them. like produce was completely lacking in the long, long winter months. Not a lot of citrus in Scandinavia, and, and I would no, imagine. No, sir. But... Pine trees, lots of them. Yes. And then the European colonizers in North America would drink it as well. This, it kind of died out around in the 1800s when... I kind of feel like it'd be like drinking pine salt. Indeed. Yeah. A lot of people say it's like uh, drinking a Christmas tree. Yeah. Or... Pine salt. Yeah. Not my jam. <laughs> yeah. It's kind of like how I feel about certain gins, like the ones that are super junipery. Yeah. I like my gins more herbal. I don't even like pine scent in my pine salt. I know, Which right? We get the we get like, the lemon scent. <laughs> <laughs> thankfully you can get there's options. There, but yeah. for the longest time they just pine. stubbornly insisted on pine scent. Right? Yeah. Okay. So that's that. I All don't right. know if it was exciting or informative. But it was very. Okay. On both fronts. <laughs> sure. Yep. Um, so if you enjoyed the show, please rank and review us. You can follow us on our socials. Our Instagram is at we underscore cook underscore books. And our Facebook is at we cook books. What's our OnlyFans? <laughs> I'm working on that because everyone wants to see grandma's titties. <laughs> Hey Victoria, I've got a I've got a food joke to take us home. Okay, are you gonna make me laugh? I hope so. <laughs> it's always the goal. And uh. it's and it's and it's very it very infrequently happens. <laughs> I, I think I think this one's gonna really bust a gut though. Okay, let's do it. I've begun investing heavily in beef, chicken, and vegetable stocks. One day I hope to be a bullionaire. Okay. <laughs> so dumb. <laughs> I'm just going to let that marinate for a second. Oh, <laughs> that was man. a good one. <laughs> you, well, you were saying stocks. I'm like, okay, this is going to, yeah. Yep. Sure. Bullionaire. All right. All right. Thanks for listening, everyone. <laughs> Have a fantastic week. Stay safe. Stay hungry.